Welcome to the Law of Startups Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thanks uh, for being with us today. Today, we're lucky to have in the studio Sam Teeden. Sam uh, is uh, uh, in Seattle from time to time. He's with Frontier Capital. And uh, welcome to the show, Sam. Thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all having me. Yeah. So, Sam, you're Frontier Capital. For people uh, in the audience who haven't heard of Frontier Capital, why don't you please tell us about it? Yeah. Frontier is a Charlotte, North Carolina-based growth equity fund. We started in 1999 and have always been exclusively focused on partnering either as a minority or majority investor in established B2B SaaS and tech-enabled service companies. Um, typically looking for companies anywhere between, say, $5 million of revenue on the low end, $30 million of revenue on the high end, showing some substantial growth year over year, 20% year over year, um, and really leveraging a technology, so showing some gross margins um, that's indicative of that. Right. Well, so, yeah, we got to know each other uh, because one of your colleagues was on the board of a company I represented uh, in which you guys have made an investment, and that company had a nice exit. Hey, but don't you guys have some news today to talk about? Yeah, big, big news today. We uh, just released the um, closing of our fifth fund, so and exciting stuff. press release and everything. Yeah, press release is out, so we can talk about it. We're excited about it. It's... Um, you know, a reflection of some really hard work done by our by our partners and, and laid a great foundation to let us build year over year. Yeah, so what's the size of that fund? Right, so we just closed out our fourth fund, um, which is a $390 million fund, and fund five that we um, are making investments out of here going forward is a $700 million fund. Wow, that's nice. So That's nice. So, yeah, that's really nice. So that will keep you guys making investments for a few years at least. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're hoping, um, you know, we, we've raised funds in about three and a half year cadence and uh we kind of hope to continue that yeah so that's the i mean that is that does sound like a lot of money to deploy but you, your target deployment i mean time frame is is something on the order of i don't know how many years five years four or five years somewhere in that time frame yeah i would say um in an ideal world it would be you know, three and a half four years to deploy that that fund right um so then we could recognize returns on that in a seven eight year period right Right. And so then your, uh, your round sizes, let's talk about your round sizes and kind of when what, you mentioned some of the metrics that you like to see in a company. Uh, tell us about sort of how much capital you like to put in, in, in different types of scenarios. Yeah, I would say in, in fund five, we're looking to deploy anywhere between um, 15 and 75 or 80 million. So looking to be all things growth equity to the lower middle market tech um, industry. So that, that capital historically has been used in some combination of liquidity for those earlier stage investors if they need to be capped out, um, and then liquidity for some earlier stage business owners, letting them ch- take some chips off the table, and the remainder of it going to the balance sheet for growth. Right. So what size, sorry, what was the sizes, the typical kind of sizes of the, of the rounds again? Round size from, yeah, from, well, from a... Yeah, do you like to deploy? Like, what's your typical yeah, investment size? So you I'll, run into a company here in Seattle that's doing... 15 million, uh, and it's year-over-year growth is close to 100%. I mean, what, what would be a round size in that in that scenario for you guys? How much would you want to deploy in that company? Do you have any names to give me there? <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, well, okay, I've already shared your name with this particular company, but we're not going to talk about it online. But, but yeah, I mean, no, I, I mean, let's just say you have a company that's got really substantial growth year-over-year. Yep. I mean, maybe it's not doubling, maybe it is doubling every year, just for fun. Let's have a fun example. And it's, it's, it's gone from... You know, five to ten million, and now this year they're projecting out twenty. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, what do you, what, like, as a VC, you know, who likes to deploy growth capital, this company's clearly found yep. product market fit. And so that's where you're zeroing in on, right? Yeah, right. Yep. I, I would say that, um, you know, in Fund 4, our average check size was a hair over $30 million. Okay. Um, Fund 5, we're looking for those check sizes to be at, you know, in the $50 million range. Okay. So whether that's um, you know, taking a meaningful minority position there right. um, and really partnering there, or um, maybe it's a later stage business owner who wants more liquidity, um, we'll, we'll take a majority stake there as well. Right. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm curious to know, like, what what the VC market looks like in in um, in Charlottesville. Like, is that a? I mean, are you guys the? Are, are there are there a lot of VCs there? <laughs> I, I mean, do you have to travel? I mean, are you come into to Seattle a bit to, to visit companies? Do you have to to um you know travel a lot and see other other markets to in order to find the types of companies that you're looking to invest in? And tell, tell me what it's like to be a VC in in Charlottesville. Yeah, Charlottesville and Charlotte, a little bit different. Charlottesville is a lot more pretty than Charlotte and has, um, you know, one of my, my, one of the Tar Heels, North Carolina Tar Heels being one of my favorite schools, um, one of their rivals in UVA. But down in Charlotte, um, I would say, you know, there is a developing fintech scene there, obviously being one of the East Coast hubs um, for, for the banking industry. Um, but historically, we've spent time in what we would kind of consider those tier two capital markets. Um, so take, for example, a- Atlanta, Georgia has been a great um, market for us to spend time in. Same with Salt Lake, Denver, Dallas. And, and really, I joined the Frontier team about four months ago um, with the kind of being charged of, quote-unquote, breaking into the Pacific Northwest. Um, Frontier does things a little bit differently to where we um, really, we're a lot more relationship-based, really forming those relationships with entrepreneurs far before they're looking to raise um, to build that trust and rapport and making sure that there's alignment ahead of time. Um, and, and that takes spending time in markets. I you know, since joining Frontier, this is my fourth visit out to Seattle. So spending ample amount of time out here could always be spending more with the amount of activity that you have going on. Um, so, so I think you know, being out here as frequently as possible, becoming somewhat of a household name is the objective, um, just as we have in other markets. So That's great. I mean, how, how – um, you, because you, you, your uh, fund travels around and sees different – Places. I mean, are you seeing a lot of growth of the tech uh, and the um, kind of emerging tech markets in in other places outside of the outside of the valley? It feels like the valley right now is is pretty congested. And I mean, granted, that's that's where everything seems to be happening. Like there's there's so much um, activity there, but at the same time, the the housing market's really expensive, and the the, the competition for talent is really rough. Um, and there's kind of a, a, you know, some cultural issues there that some people, it's not a great fit. Um, I don't know. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people like to come to, to the Northwest, but I'm curious to know how that, how that environment and the kind of the growth of, of the Valley is, is impacting the emergence of, of tech hubs in other places in the country. Um, you know, what are some of the other, other cities where you're seeing lots of growth, um, you know, places that you might not otherwise, uh, you know, have previously thought, would be uh, would be hubs of tech. Any, anything come to mind? Yeah, I, I think um, you know lots of entrepreneurs realize the, how expensive it is to to start and run a company in the valley, um, and you do see some of that moving eastward. Um, what we 
I would say Atlanta, Georgia is, is a great example of you know a, a great market that has lots of interesting earlier stage companies that is growing and um, and a place that that we've obviously been extremely successful in being right up there in, in Charlotte, North Carolina compared to Atlanta. So so obviously that, that, that distance makes it a little bit easier. Um, but I, I think it, that city might fit the exact mold of what you just described of, hey, what, where who else is growing that most people probably wouldn't think of? And, and Atlanta is one. I just hope it stays that way to where not, not many other people know it so we can continue to be successful in that market. Yeah. Well, um, so what did you think? I mean, you're a... I mean, you're, uh, uh, you know, you've got an interesting, probably a good, interesting perspective on Seattle because you, you didn't grow up here. You haven't spent 20 years in the market here. Uh, and so you come, you're coming at it from a nice, fresh set of eyes. I mean, what's your sort of perspective on, on Seattle so far? It's great. You know, I, I think it's um, f- sitting on the East Coast. We came out the, the Pacific Northwest really un- under the philosophy wherever there's smoke, there's fire. And there's definitely a lot of fire this way um, to where you just see it percolating and some really great companies um, are being built around here. So it's, um, I think it's you know, very indicative of, of what other firms are seeing out here while you're seeing a lot more capital being deployed in the Seattle area um, because lots of people are, are opening their eyes and realizing, wow, this is um, becoming one of the largest tech hubs. I mean, obviously has been for a while, but, but from the growth stage in the startup scene, um, really developed. The eco- ecosystem is a lot further along than a lot of the other markets that we go into. Right. Well, so when you saw the hubbub in the Seattle press about uh, Amazon's HQ2 thing, <laughs> what, was your, what was your take on that? I, I, I think the most interesting part is getting the Seattle take on it. Um, really uh, understanding um, where everyone in Seattle c- kind of sees the HQ2 going. Um, you know, but from, from my seat, I, I think I, I'd love to have it in North Carolina somewhere. Um, I think the time change might be a little bit of an issue. Uh, if I had to guess from all of the um, research I've done on it, I would either say somewhere in Texas or, or Denver. Oh, really interesting. Okay, Mike, what's your opinion on this? Hmm, I haven't given a lot of thought about where the other cities uh, might be that they'd look at. Denver would be interesting. I lived in Colorado for a few years, and Denver is um, uh, well. I don't know. I don't know what the what the labor market looks like out there, but there's lots of space. Uh, you know, it's just kind of flat as far as you can see. And, uh, uh, you know, right up until you hit the mountains, it, it, it seems like it, it would be a good place to, um, to, you know, put people in, and try to bring people in. Um, yeah, I don't know. Texas is great too, because it's, uh, so they have a, a tech scene, much better, much bigger tech scene than, um, at least around Austin, they have a much bigger tech scene than, than in Colorado. Um, I think, um, and, uh, and the, the land is inexpensive and, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of economic efficiencies with being out there, um, it seems like a less expensive place to live if you don't mind living in Texas. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess Boulder has some Boulder has some pretty great tech activity. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. You know, I don't know if, if Amazon opened up uh, a second headquarters in Colorado, how close it would be to Boulder, um, or if it would just be purely in Denver proper. It'd be interesting to see. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I'm sad to see them them want to open up somewhere else. Um, you know, a lot of people in Seattle have, there's mixed feelings about Amazon. Some people 
feel like Amazon is changing the, the face of the city and it's all these young tech people that come in and, um, you know, it's changing kind of the, the, the general vibe of the city, but I kind of, I like it. Um, you know, there's, a, I, I have lots of neighbors and, and friends that work at Amazon and it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of energy there. Um, you know, I think if you're, if you're part of the tech economy, if you, if you benefit in some way from the influx of people coming in, um, you know, you're probably on the side of, of wishing Amazon would stick around and just continue to grow here. Um, if, if you're like, if you're looking back and wishing Seattle was smaller than it is and, and things were the way they, they were before there was this influx of people, um, you know, I could see why people would, would be, uh. You know, those those people are probably wishing wishing there were more Amazon people somewhere else. Yeah, interesting. Well, let's talk about fintech. I mean, because you mentioned fintech. I mean, let's talk about uh, fr- frontier. I mean, it uh, sort of the industry. You know, places. I mean, you mentioned fintech is one mm-hmm. technology enabled services. Is a pretty broad term. I mean, let's talk about fintech for a minute. What do you think? Uh, what do you think about cryptocurrency? <laughs> Man, it, isn't that a fun topic? <laughs> are you are you going to make some investments in that space? I think we'll watch it play out a little bit from the sidelines. Um, again, that might be a little bit more of a venture play than what we would kind of consider ourselves as a growth equity play. Um, but man, that is, that's a hot topic. I mean, you, you see a different blockchain technology pop up every day. Um, just had the conversation earlier today as well about, about the, uh, you know, cryptocurrency. So it's, it's making a lot of people a lot of money somewhere. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Well, it's certainly, it's a, it's a huge, um, generation of wealth. I mean, one of the people, some, I think, I think, um, you know, we've talked about it in the past on the show, but you know, when you look back in 10 years at the, the, the emergence of Bitcoin and Ethereum and cryptocurrencies, I mean, unless the whole thing explodes and, and the, and there's a bubble that pops, um, it's very possible you'll look back at cryptocurrency as like the, uh, you know, a, a massive generation of wealth that some people participated in and some people got particularly wealthy, uh, you know, this is a shift. It's one of these strange opportunities where, um, you know, money flows to, to a group of people that didn't previously have it. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting opportunity. One of the things that we saw, I don't know if, if um, so in the last week, these, these episodes tend to air a, a week or so after we, we uh, record them, but there's this, this, this thing in the news, the last few days called uh, crypto kitties. Joe, did you see the thing ah, about crypto the, kitties? Yeah. So I, I, I love the crypto kitties idea. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's sort of the quintessential example of a, of a, Blockchain utility token. Uh, have you have you bought any, Mike? Yeah. So I was going to talk about. I wanted to, to check it out just to see how it worked because it's kind of a. It's one of the first examples of like an Ethereum app, um, a, a wide scale used app on the blockchain um, being used, and so it's it's not something that is, I find particularly interesting like to to play with, but. Um, from as an experiment to look and see how it's working, it's pretty interesting. So I bought a couple of the cats. You can, you, so th- let me explain how the how this works. It's a pretty basic app. You go to this website. Um, there's a um, there's a plugin for for Chrome and I think Firefox that connects to Ethereum's blockchain. So these people, I think it's called uh, Meta. What is it called? I think it's called MetaMask. Let me take a look. Um, yeah. Can't see the name of it. I think it's called MetaMask. Anyway, it's it's um it's a plugin for your browser that connects. It creates a connection. It, basically, it's like um an Ethereum wallet in your browser. Um, so it's it's running the wallet. Um, it's connected to your browser, and it allows websites that have you know in JavaScript to be able to communicate with 
um, with this plugin and and um, initiate transactions and send money to different accounts. So it kind of just populates it with the right information. And then I think it reports back to the web page if something was successful or not. Um, anyway, so what it allows you to do is you set up an account um, in MetaMask, you send a little bit of Ethereum over to it. So you have some Ethereum in your account. And then you can start buying things on this website using Ethereum. And you can buy these cats. And the cats are pretty much all the same. Like, I mean, as far as I can tell, there's not a whole lot of variety in these different cats. Um, and, the, uh, you know, some of the more expensive cats, which I guess are more rare, are, are selling on the website for thousands and thousands of dollars, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But, um, you know, what's interesting is you buy the cat. The cat is a is, is like a token. It's just it's unique. Um, so the fact that who owns that cat is something that's logged onto the blockchain. Uh, but if you have two of the cats, um, you could breed them together and make a third cat. Oh, you have and to. And then own- the third cat exists on the blockchain. Okay. You, you can either own two cats. Okay. Or you can or you can um, put your cat up to sire, in which case people pay pay you. You can either pay other people. Uh, Ethereum, like real money, you pay Ethereum, and in exchange, your cat breeds with their cat, and then you get the offspring. How many or offspring? You can, um, Do you get like five kittens or six kittens? Does it vary? I think. Well, what it does is, is so so you get to. I, th- I don't think there's a limit, except that every time you you have a, a, a offspring or you sire an offspring, um, the 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 cooldown time increases for how long it takes for you to be able to do it again. Oh, I see. And so I'm assuming that after, you know, maybe 15 or 16 times, you're waiting a long time and it starts to somehow taper off. Um, but it's it's weird, man, because it's like you, you're thinking, well, I can buy a couple of these things. I can breed them together. I'll get a third thing that I can sell or I can continue to breed. And you can you can see why people might be kind of interested in like, you know, trying try to run it and make money. It's... um. I don't think it works quite that way. Like uh, my take on it is that these, these um, kitties are like, they're being birthed at such a huge rate. You've got this exponential thing going where, you know, it's like a population explosion. If every kitty, every two kitties is having three or four babies, then the population of these kitties is going to just massively explode. And I don't know that the demand for them is going to even remotely keep up. So it's, it's a pretty cool like social experiment to see what happens with this. Um, I, I don't know if I would recommend anybody buying them, if anything, other than just to kind of see how it works. But another thing, and, I, and I've been kind of going on for a while, so I'll, I'll let you guys chime in. But um, the thing that it highlighted to me most of all was um, uh, that, that the Ethereum blockchain right now is really not ready for an app like this. It's, everything on it is very slow. Transactions take a long time to go through. Sometimes they just outright fail. Um, and so if anything, it's just showing kind of the, the, the weaknesses of the, of the Ethereum uh, blockchain that the it's just not able to handle the, the traffic um and that's that's better to have that happen with like a crypto kitties game that doesn't mean anything at all than with somebody's you know you know lofty um killer app that they actually make that that we actually need to work for us so um, hopefully they'll use it as a way to learn about how to improve um improve transaction time how to write apps that that are more efficient and and talk to the blockchain as little as possible and maybe use side chains and things to kind of um, make things faster. I, I don't know, but it, there should be a lot of, of things learned from this application because so many people are trying to use it. Yeah. What do you guys think? I, yeah. I, I you gotta, gotta buy some cats? No, no. I, I, <laughs> Sam, we were buying cats no, this no. morning. I, I, I should have. I should have. Uh, no, I got an email earlier this week from a guy, a colleague in my office, Will Dubay, who, who kind of has this um, high interest in cryptocurrency. And he sent this article that already over a million dollars has been spent on these kitties. Yeah. And I think that's just 
should, nobody wants to miss out on the next Bitcoin, right? They're, I think they're jumping over it and, and looking to, to get ahead of what could be a huge tidal wave like what we've seen with, with Bitcoin. Yeah, it's certainly fun to watch. I was, uh, Mike, I was talking at a, well, I was actually program chair for a securities law CLE yesterday. So we had a segment on ICOs and tokens and things like this. And um, yeah, it's interesting. The uh, the securities law bar is uh, is uh, very negative on this idea that um, these tokens can be, well, I should say at least some members of the securities law bar seem to be somewhat negative on this. Um, this, the ability to sell tokens sort of not as a security, but as a utility. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me, and I was arguing with, or making the point yesterday at the Sealy, and this is a perfect example of something um, that uh, it's just like collecting Beanie Babies or some crazy thing you would do in the physical world. We're just doing it in the digital world, and people have been collecting things, I mean, in games for a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, imagine if, uh, you know, for some of these really popular uh, massive multiplayer online games, you could trade some of these things on the blockchain. I, I imagine, I mean, things like this is, this is kind of where it's going to go. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see somebody somebody make a game. Well, you know, the, all these games want to have like sort of a marketplace for things. The, the only reason I think that you're not seeing it on the blockchain right now is that the interface just isn't there. Imagine if if every not everybody that plays a video game wants to know how to set up an Ethereum wallet and figure out how to send funds to another site. But, but things like this bl plugin for the browser make it a lot easier. So it's I think once the tools catch up, I don't know why why any game company wouldn't want to leverage that so that they don't have to worry about managing it or though maybe it takes it out of their hands maybe they aren't they're not able to charge a you know a premium for for running the marketplace if yeah. they let people just trade them freely i, I don't maybe the, maybe the incentives aren't there for it well it's it definitely sets up a different business incentive right now you've got a uh i mean if you i mean if you're the creator of the game uh that's creating the tools and implements that people want uh, then you control the economy in some sense, even if uh, sort of last generation, sort of like the last generation of, of golf clubs or skis or mm -hmm. other sporting equipment. I mean, all that stuff gets old and <laughs> people want new things. And, you know, I don't know, Mike, it's really interesting. I do. I think it's just a fascinating topic. New shiny thing. The new shiny thing is always really important. So, Sam, let's get back to frontier capital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier uh, you're coming here like uh, on a pretty regular basis. You're you're going around town. You're trying to meet everyone in town who's, uh, you know, a good. You're looking for good founders to meet. You're looking to meet uh, companies that are, um, generally speaking, you know, you're targeting companies who've got uh, who've got revenue in the multiple millions of dollars. However, you're probably you're probably happy to you would enjoy meeting people uh, at the earlier stages just to start forming relationships and yep. start networking and everything like this. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Um, definitely prefer to have those conversations and those introductions long before they become you know, in our investment criteria. Right. Um, but we have a deep emphasis in our office on alignment and making sure that there's a shared goal when it comes to investing because post-investment with the multiples we're seeing on the front end, you're having to perform at a higher rate quicker. Um, right. So you know, making sure that it's a good personality fit, a good partnership, um, being seen as a lot more than just an equity check is right. extremely important to the frontier approach. Right. So you guys always, I presume you guys, unless you're, uh, unless you're a member of a syndicate, you're always taking a board seat in these companies. That's correct. Okay. All right. And uh, you've got a, ton of fresh new capital it yeah. sounds like yeah so yeah, that's exciting we do lots of uh 
new capital to deploy here. I, I think that, um, you know, you, you kind of hit on the, the fintech cryptocurrency a little bit, which we'll probably stand on the sideline and watch for a little bit, right. but doesn't, you know, not predicting the future on where we go. But, you know, we, we, all, we also have some kind of deep domain expertise in the healthcare IT industry, human capital management, um, cybersecurity becoming a you know, bigger and bigger market there. Um, constantly evolving, um, and then anything really vertically SaaS oriented there. So, um, yeah, that there's plenty, plenty for us to invest in. Um, just again, finding that right partnership. Right. Um, so, company. So, Mike. Um, uh, I mean, an example would be a, a you know a company that's uh, it's got an online subscription service for uh, you know meditation apps, for example. <laughs> that's what I do. That's, that's my thing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, we've, I do a um, online subscription service for, for meditation apps. Sounds like you guys are more enterprise based, and we are working on a uh, an enterprise version of the software that could be much more like something that that um, you know companies could buy for their employees or something like that. Like a, like and so schools could buy for their students and faculty. But um, for now, we're, we're focused mostly just on consumers. But um, I'm curious to know. So so. From um, you know, you you know what you're looking to buy in terms of enterprise SaaS, I mean, and and you've seen companies that are, have been successful in that space. What are some of the opportunities that you that you see in that space for software to be built that doesn't exist yet that you wish somebody would go build so you could help in, invest in it? Are you seeing any needs in the enterprise market that that aren't uh, being met currently by SaaS solutions? I mean, what what are you what are you hoping people will build so you can get involved? Wow, that's a great question. Um, a hard, hard question, right? It is. Why, why would you lay that on me at the end, not at the beginning, ah. when, I was, when I was more prepared? <laughs> we were trying to throw you off, you know, <laughs> talking about crypto. I thought, I thought you guys were nice. Uh, <laughs> no, I, truthfully, I, I think that um, the efficiencies are coming to where people want things faster, quicker, better. Um, and, and I think there's an opportunity for software to be built in all the verticals that we play in. Um just because it's being done currently doesn't mean that it can't be done better and revolutionize that certain industry. Um, so, I mean, take cybersecurity, for, for example. You see different platforms being built with AI integrated into it um, that we haven't seen in the past. And how does that continue to develop at a more cost-effective rate to be a more appealing invest investment. Um, I, I think, I think that's really the key. I, I don't think that, um, that, that some new vertical needs to be made be more functional with SAS behind it. To, right. Right. To help develop yeah, it. Yeah. That's always an interesting uh, question for entrepreneurs when they're trying to figure out what to work on next. I've always been attracted to doing things that are new and have never been done before because they feel more inventive to me. And it gives me that sense of, of, uh, of, you know, breaking ground on something new and exciting. But then other times, you know, when those things don't work out, I look back and I say, man, it would have been a much better business model to try to look at something that's already working and, and find a way to make it better. You know, look for a market that exists, look for somebody that's, that's already demonstrated that the, that there's money to be made. That's part of the reason why we're doing the the meditation subscription service. We're kind of following a lot of bigger players into that space thinking, okay, well, 
you know, these guys have been successful. So I know that there's a market here. I know that people are willing to pay for this sort of thing rather than come up with a service that's never existed before. Um, and so we're just doing our version of it. Um, so I guess, I guess we're kind of more in that camp now with what I'm working on, but historically through my career, I've always struggled between, you know, doing the, doing the thing that, that is, you know, second or third to market following someone in that's, you know, hopefully less risky because you already know that the market exists versus doing something completely new because it's exciting. Um, even though it might be a, a worse bet, um, yeah, statistically, yeah, it's, it's a tough call. An industry that, that is developing quickly. Um, that's always been there. And I think just kind of getting uncovered is from the e-gaming side. Um, would be interested to hear your take on that. We're kind of sticking our toe in the water, not from an investment side. This is kind of just a hobby of mine, not of frontiers. Uh, but that, just as, as you kind of were talking there, that definitely is one that could have some sort of um, leader pop out of that pack and and, and start that revolution of e-gaming and, and what a big industry that's already become internationally, but now in the United States. Right, right. Yeah, you mean you mean esports? Esports. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. That's a, it. Is a fascinating place, uh, space. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I agree. I I don't know. I spent a lot of time. I Mike. I do you do you play any of the games that are the focus of the esports category? Uh, yeah, some of them. I mean, like I um, that's kind of the key. I think is like it helps to to understand uh, an esport. Uh, it helps to have played the game. Otherwise, when you go watch it, you're just like, I don't get it. Um, what? Why? Are, why is this interesting? Um, so I, I play Overwatch sometimes, and Overwatch has become an esports um, uh, game that that you start to see like featured. I think they had an e- uh, Overwatch tournament on at, like cable television a while back, so it's it's starting to be like more of a mainstream. It's one of the mainstream ones, and I, I like that game a lot, and I, I can appreciate watching other people play it. Um, there's another game that I like watching. I don't know if it's an esport, but but you know, I never quite understood why it would be fun to watch other people play games. Part of the reason why I'm not a huge sports fan too but um there's this game called um it's called player unknowns uh battlegrounds it's called pub pub g is is the like nickname for it and it's i think it's coming to xbox in a week or so but it's a pc game it's uh it's they there's a hundred people that start out in the game it's a massively multiplayer game hundred people start out they all spawn at the same time and then they're in airplanes and then they parachute down onto this island um, it's almost like a Hunger Games kind of a situation. So all hundred people parachute down on the island with no weapons, no gear, and um, and immediately you try to land somewhere near like a building, and you have to run to get to like weapons and uh, bulletproof vests and helmets and things. And so you're just basically like running for guns and trying to uh, kill everybody else. It's the last man standing is the winner. <laughs> so ninety nine people lose. Ninety nine people lose, and one person wins. Oh, and, that's um, great watching other people play that game is is uh strangely interesting because it's you just kind of at any given moment you never know if somebody's gonna like pop out and and shoot them and um so so like and and there's a lots of there's lots of periods of just like hanging out like it it could, it could be like seven minutes before you see anybody because you're just kind of hidden out in a in a building like waiting for for people to come by and so you can you know if if you're watching the right person you can hear them talk about other stuff while they're while they're waiting to to, to um to, you know, pounce on somebody. So it's, it's pretty cool. I like that game. It's not really an esport in a sense that I don't think there's any competitions for it yet, but, um, but it's one of the first games that I could like, actually, like I was on a plane, uh, back from Hawaii last week and I, I, uh, I, 
have like a the ability to download YouTube videos because I have that YouTube red. And uh, so I just watched a guy play that game for a half hour on the airplane and it was pretty entertaining. It's the first time I've, I've felt that. So, so, so do coming. you just follow one player in that or do you get, have the opportunity to bounce around? How does that work? This one, I think they do have a spectator mode and there there is like a way that you could potentially watch it from multiple people's perspective. Um, but in this case, it's just a, one guy's perspective of his game. Um, so you could just see him see him play, which in some ways is is interesting because you just kind of don't know, you know, where the uh, where the threats are coming from. If you're watching the whole game, then I guess you get to see the whole thing and see who's playing well. And um, I've I've watched it both ways, but most of the time it seems like I'm just watching one person streaming their game. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, Sam, we super appreciate you being here today on the show. Um, any parting any parting thoughts for us before you go? No, I appreciate y'all having me on. It's been great chatting with you. It's been great experiencing the Pacific Northwest, Seattle in particular, and uh, and I look forward to spending a lot more time out here. Yeah, yeah. If, if people want to get a hold of you, they can email you. Yeah, could email me at s t e d e n t e d e n at frontiercapital.com. Yeah, super, super appreciate it. We'll be on the lookout for uh, for deals for you. Perfect. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, everyone else, for listening. We'll see you all next week.